In 2008, the recession caused over 1 million people to lose their homes. Um, that's just in the United States. 60 Minutes did a piece on this and was looking at the uh, hardships that families and specifically children had to go through uh, with hunger, with poverty, um, through this recession. And God willing, we're going to play this clip from 60 Minutes and then, uh, inshallah, look at the verses and try to get a deeper understanding of why this happened. Unemployment improved a bit last month, but it's still nearly 9%. And the trouble is job creation is so slow, it will be years before we get back the 7.5 million jobs lost in the Great Recession. American families have been falling out of the middle class in record numbers. The combination of lost jobs and millions of foreclosures means a lot of folks are homeless and hungry for the first time in their lives. One of the consequences of the recession that you don't hear much about is the record number of children descending into poverty. The government considers a family of four to be impoverished if they take in less than $22,000 a year. Based on that standard and government projections of unemployment, it is estimated the poverty rate for kids in this country will soon hit 25%. Those children would be the largest American generation to be raised in hard times since the Great Depression. Who can tell me what it's like to feel hungry? It's like hard, you can't sleep, you just like wait, you just go to sleep for like five minutes and you wake up again and your like stomach hurts and you're thinking I can't sleep, I'm going to try and sleep, I'm going to try and sleep, but you can't because you're because it's like your, st your stomach's hurting and it's because it doesn't have any food in it. And it's like a black hole. And sometimes when I don't eat my stomach, you can hear like it, it's like growling, you can hear it. Usually we eat macaroni or we don't, or we drink water or tea. My mom will sometimes like make food and then she won't have enough, so um, at night we'll just eat cereal or something. Other times my parents will fight about money because they don't have enough money to pay the food. We have to sometimes take food from a church. It's hard because my grandmother's also out of work and we usually get some food from her. It's kind of embarrassing because the next day you go to school um, asking kids if they want this or if they want that. If they have cereal and they haven't opened it yet, you go ask them if they want their cereal. So if you're like most people, you're probably thinking after listening to that piece that, you know, obviously it's so sad your, your heart goes out to these people and you would love to be able to do something to help, right? You're probably thinking, oh, if I had enough uh, wealth, I would just, I would love to basically buy a home for all these children and make sure that they're uh, taken care of and they don't have to endure this hardship, this, uh, this pain, this deprivation. Um, but you have to ask yourself something, you know, did God forget about these people, right? Did God forget about these children? Did God forget to provide for them, you know? And why would God allow this hardship for these people? And the answer to this is God clearly didn't forget, right? God calculated the provisions for every single one of his creatures uh, before the, the universe was even created. So there must be a reason behind why this take, this takes place. And um, one of the reasons is to show what is our character, right? If everyone was equal, if everyone had the same amount, how, do, how can you determine if someone is charitable? How can you determine that someone uh, is striving in the cause of God? And it's a status, this change in status, that it brings out the true character of the individuals. That when you hear a story of like this, are you thinking, what can I do to help? Or are you thinking, 
why doesn't God take care of these people, right? In um, chapter 36, we read, um, this is chapter 36, 47, says, when they are told, give from God's provisions to uh, those who disbelieve, save to those who believe, why should we give to those whom God could feed if he so willed? And it says, you're really far astray. So, you know, our first instinct is what can we do to help? But then we come to the realization that, look, there, we have limited abilities. These are the stories of the children we know. What about the millions of stories of children that we will never hear about? You know, why does this happen? And the question is, why does God allow hardship for the people? In 829, it says, Oh, you who believe, if you reverence God, he will enlighten you, remit your sins, and forgive you. God possesses infinite grace. You know, God's resources are inexhaustible, and his grace is infinite. Therefore, there must be a reason he allows this to take place. In uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, to give you a future with hope. God wants to give the opportunity for growth and development to every single human being. You know, and it's through hardship, through adversity, that we're able to grow. Because just like our physical bodies need resistance to grow our muscles, our spiritual selves, our souls, require hardship and adversity to prove the strength of our faith. You know, one of the examples is you look at gravity. It sounds funny, but, you know, imagine how much a nicer life would be without gravity. You would never have to worry about, you know, falling, uh, breaking hips, breaking bones, any of that, because we would all be weightless and just floating around. Now, the irony is, when they sent astronauts to space, uh, it actually takes a huge detrimental toll on their physical bodies. Uh, it's estimated that one mission, depending on the duration of the mission, uh, could uh, an astronaut can lose about 20 to 40 percent of their muscle mass, uh, depending on the duration of uh, space and assuming that they're not exercising. So it's very uh, necessary that during their mission that they're constantly putting their bodies through strain because it's through strain that muscle is built and not lost. You know, and we know this because you look at bodybuilders, right? These guys go and lift heavy objects. Why? It's because when they're lifting the heavy objects, it actually forces their muscles to tear. And when they regrow, they grow with more muscle. You know, so having resistance is part of the growth and development process. Similarly, for our spiritual selves, it's the same thing. You know, by going through hardship, going through adversity, and showing the true strength of our character and trust in God, we're able to grow and develop our souls. You know, you would never look at a bodybuilder and say, that poor individual, he has to lift so much weight and, you know, his muscles are just getting bigger, right? It's the same thing. When we look at a human being, when we see that the hardship, that, that the adversity they had to go through, if it's used properly, if there's trust in God, we're doing what God commands of us, God can turn that situation for our benefit. In 794, it reads, Blessings in disguise is whenever we sent a prophet to any community, we afflicted its people with adversity and hardship that they may implore. Right? This hardship, this adversity can be used for our good, for growth and development, or it can be used to our detriment to destroy us. Right? Uh, it can leave us despondent and hopeless and uh, question God's existence and why would God do this and, in essence, uh, lead us astray. And the decision is up to us. C.S. Lewis wrote, hardships often prepare ordinary people for extraordinary destiny. And no example in the Quran is more clear of this than the example of Joseph, right? Joseph, if you were to tell someone, what would it take for Joseph to become the, uh, the uh, uh, treasure of Egypt, the highest ranking children of Israel in all of Egypt, to be able to pull his uh, family out of poverty? Would you think that the path is that, okay, your brothers are going to turn against you. They're going to throw you in a well, leave you, uh, leave you for dead, um, sell you off to slavery, uh, have you be adopted, and basically have your uh, chastity uh, jeopardized. 
thrown in jail, spend more time in jail, and that's the path that's going to be needed, in essence, for you to become this high-ranking uh, uh, individual in Egypt, right? People would think that's absurd, but God doesn't see things in cross-sections. God sees things from the beginning to the end, and God knows exactly what uh, curriculum people need in their lives to basically bring out the best in them. And if we trust in God, if we have that reverence, if we have that trust, God is going to allow these situations to strengthen us. And it's going to teach us lessons that we would never be able to learn otherwise, both internally and in the, uh, the, uh, the, the worldly sense. In the sense of, you know, what is it going to take psychologically for me to be steadfast, for me to be patient, for me to be able to persevere through these situations? And what skill sets am I going to learn throughout this, uh, this endeavor? You know, I heard this example and I thought it was a pretty profound um, when a caterpillar wants to basically go through the process, the metamorphosis to become a butterfly, uh, it encapsulates itself into a cocoon. Now, before it's even a day old, this butterfly has to break through that cocoon and basically be able to become a fully developed butterfly. Now, imagine an onlooker sees this poor defenseless butterfly using all its strength and all its might to basically bust through this cocoon, you know. And imagine they were so basically compelled by their compassion that they said, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to tear this cocoon open and let this butterfly out because it's just too much work for such a small creature. Well, the irony is if you were to do something like that, you would have just absolutely signed a death sentence for that butterfly because it's through that process of breaking through the cocoon that the butterfly is basically strengthening its respiratory system, pumping blood throughout its wings, strengthening its wings so it can survive in the wild. If it didn't have that opportunity, if someone was to come by and just basically tear open that cocoon because they felt so compelled for that butterfly, it would never be able to grow through, uh, get through this growth process. And we have to be conscientious that, you know, obviously we're going to do what we can to help people out, to, to be compassionate, to give to charity, but for the ones that we cannot help, right, for the ones that basically are beyond our, uh, we don't know of, or, um, you know, we, we basically hear of it after the fact, we have to realize that God allows this to happen for the benefit of the people. And as hard as it's going to be to understand, again, God does not see things in cross sections. God sees things from the beginning all the way to the end. And the end doesn't end in this life either, right? The end is on to the hereafter. One of the big proponents of this kind of idea of meaning uh, is uh, Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was an Austrian psychiatrist who spent three years in concentration camps during World War II. And during that time, he was able to talk and interview people both during the concentration camp and after the concentration camp. And he had a, a stunning takeaway. He came to the realization that the individuals who saw that their time in Auschwitz, in concentration camps, as meaningless, right, as uh, this is completely done in vain, there's no good that can come out of this, uh, were A, either not able to survive throughout the endeavor, or if they did, they were never able to basically get back to a status of uh, uh, not just living, but persevering through life. And he realized that the ones who saw meaning behind this and realized that there was something greater to live for beyond the physical you know, uh, pain that they had to endure were the ones who were not only able to survive but were the ones who were able to thrive after that, uh, that atrocity. And it's very tough for us to comprehend how that can be. And I'm not going to do it justice, but I'm going to play a clip from uh, Viktor Frankl, uh, an interview he did, I believe, in 1971. So God willing, we're going to listen to that and then uh, jump back into the uh, subject matter. 
We're going to meet Viktor Frankl, the internationally famous psychiatrist, writer, and lecturer. He deals with the most common ailment of our time, meaninglessness. The survivor of four concentration camps, Viktor Frankl speaks from a profound understanding of man. He says life does have meaning in any and all circumstances. We can learn from Auschwitz, he says. From the Holocaust comes a message of hope. The lesson one could learn in Auschwitz and in other concentration camps in the final analysis was those who were oriented toward a meaning, toward a meaning to be fulfilled by them in the future, were most likely to survive. And this has been confirmed afterwards by American Navy and Army psychiatrists in Japanese prison of war camps, in uh, North Korean prison of war camps, recently in uh, 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 North Vietnamese prison of war camps. The orientation toward a future, toward a task, a personal task, waiting for them to be fulfilled in their future, or another person whom they were loving to be met again, to be reunited with them again in the future. This was what was decisively upholding these people. So this, the orientation beyond oneself, the, you see the question was not just survival, but there had to be a why of survival. The question was survival for what? Unless there was something or someone, a person or a cause, to, for whose sake to survive, there was survival scarcely possible. Most of us have never been in the concentration camp experience. We've never had to go through that horror and tragedy. And so one would think that today it would be easier to find meaning in life. And yet I sense that it's more difficult in a sense today than it was in years past. Do you, do you think that? You are absolutely right. Well, why is because that? Because we are living in a society, either in terms of an affluent society or in terms of a welfare state. These types of societies virtually, or at least they are out virtually to satisfy and gratify each and every human need. Consumer societies, even creating needs, but the need for meaning, or as I'm used to referring to it, the will to meaning remains unfulfilled. It's what I'm used to as, uh, uh, calling uh, recently the unheard cry for meaning. You scarcely will find any reference to what is the most fundamental and basic concern of man. Neither pleasure nor happiness, nor power or prestige, but originally and basically his wish, his desire to find and fulfill a meaning in his life or for that matter in each single life situation confronting him. And if there is a meaning to fulfill, if he's aware, if, if he becomes cognizant of such a meaning, then he's ready to suffer, he's ready to offer sacrifices, He's ready to 
undergo tension, stress, and so forth, without any harm being done to his, to his uh, health. But if there is no meaning available, no meaning in, uh, in, uh, uh, in his visual field, then he takes his life. Yeah, the meaning can be found everywhere in the smallest hut. On the other hand, you find people who are millionaires and milliardaires and, and uh, billionaires, and they have no meaning. They kill themselves. So the people who do not find meaning in the hardship that they experience will not be able to withstand the situation and will not be able to succeed. As believers, we need to see the meaning behind the events in our lives. Otherwise, we will not be able to fully grow and develop our souls and therefore not make it through the admission test. You know, by understanding that everything that God allows to happen in our lives is for our own good and being conscientious of the blessings that God puts in our way, we'll be able to succeed. The trials of life are meant for our good and the believers realize this. And because it's for our good, they don't become despondent. They're steadfast. They basically persevere through adversity. And God elevates them. And we have to realize that God never puts anything in our path that we cannot handle. In 466 through 68, it reads, God's tests are never unreasonable. Had we decreed for them, you must offer your lives or give up your homes. They would not have done it except for a few of them. Even if such a command was issued, had they done what they were commanded to do, uh, it would have been better for them and would prove the strength of their faith, and we would have granted them a great recompense, and we would have guided them in the right path. God's tests, therefore, are never unreasonable. God knows exactly what we can bear. God knows exactly what situations we can handle. And God would never put something in front of us that we couldn't persevere or be steadfast to. The decision is ultimately ours. In 6.132, it reads, Everyone will attain a rank commensurate with their deeds. Your Lord is never unaware of anything they do. Right? Meaning the rank that we achieve matches the amount of good deeds that we did in this life. And there's a quote. It says, Keep your head up. God gives his hardest battles to his strongest soldiers. And this is perfectly depicted in the history of the prophets and the messengers. And we see the hardships and adversity that they had to persevere through to make it to their, uh, to their status. And God tells us these are among the most righteous. Now, it's because of this, right, because they are among the most righteous, uh, that their test, their, uh, the, the hardships that they had to endure were so severe because they could handle it. Similarly, if you're going through a hardship and it's very difficult, Realize that God did not put this in your path unless he knew that you could handle it. And this is a testament to the degree of belief we have. And if we're righteous, if we build up righteous uh, works, if we're uh, steadfast, if we trust in God, we're going to be able to persevere through this. And we're going to come out of the situation better than we were prior to the event. And we have to trust in God. And, you know, any situation can do one of three things to us. You know, it can define us, it can destroy us, or it can strengthen us. And that choice of what it does is up to us. You know, if we allow a situation to define us, then we're going to be limited by the situation that's at hand. And we're not going to see the bigger picture. We're not going to see the meaning behind all this. And if it destroys us, we become despondent and hopeless and we're always the victim. But if it strengthens us, we're going to come out of the situation better than we were before. And we have to trust in God. We have to be uh, conscientious of God's plan. And if we trust in God, God guarantees us victory. There's a quote from Sigmund Freud who says, One day in retrospect, retrospect, the years of struggle will strike you as the most beautiful. Right? 
One day we're going to look back at this hardship, this adversity, the uh, challenges that uh, were placed in front of us. And we're going to realize we're not going to basically sugarcoat it. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. But we're going to realize that it's going to be a sign of our character. You know, do you want to look back and think that you weren't able to make it, that you weren't able to push through? Or do you want to look back and think of those as, hey, this is a testament to your character. This is the reason that you're a believer in God alone. This is the reason that, um, you know, you're, you're able to grow in righteousness. And the upside is the next challenge, the next issue that pops up, you're always going to be able to reflect back and say, I've been through more, right? This is a piece of cake. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got any comments or questions, hit us up at Talk at gmail.com or on Twitter at TalkQuran. Until next time, peace and God bless.